0: What's going on, Spanish River? Hey, seriously, thank you so much to our teachers who are out there, both in the home and in the schools. I was a teacher for four years. I taught middle school. And uh, let me tell you what, I couldn't cut it. So I went and worked at a church. And uh, you know, it's so much easier dealing with adults than kids. But no, seriously, uh, grateful for them. If we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Brian Herring. And I serve here on staff at Spanish River Church. And uh, I was talking to a number of parents over the course of the last couple weeks. It's been interesting, speaking of teachers and school. I know Palm Beach County went back uh, last Wednesday. Spanish or Christian school goes back this upcoming Wednesday. And yes, there is much applause to that because I've talked to so many parents and I am one of them that are like, oh my goodness, the year cannot start quickly enough. You get to the end of the summer and you're just toast, you're fried. There is this longing for rhythm. There's this longing for consistency for patterns again. And summer, as great as it is, brings with it just this this inconsistency, this lack of rhythm, and this sense of vulnerability for a parent where it's just like, oh my goodness, I, I, I feel like I'm barely making it here to the end. Our lives are filled with vulnerabilities. All of us struggle with vulnerabilities. We know that from a financial standpoint right many of you who have money in the markets or who are seeing prices rise there's this this feeling of vulnerability this this feeling of lack of control when it sometimes comes to the markets and to our finances we understand this physically don't we and the vulnerability even when it comes to our health and our bodies five years ago I remember coming back from just a general checkup and in the blood work the doctor said hey some stuff came up and we'd really like you to go see a hematologist and I was like, I don't even know what a hematologist is. But he handed me that little card and it said, you know, here's the doctor I want you to call, don't Google it. But it said hematology oncology. And I know what oncology is. I know what that is. Now by God's good grace, it ended up being a, uh, an immune deficiency. But there was a sense of serious vulnerability. As a guy not even in his 40s yet having to deal with that, we know about relational vulnerabilities, do we not? Whether that's a parent and a child relationship and sometimes the the tension that, that involves there are marriage relationships, business partnerships and these friendships that at times we feel a lack of control and ability over it. Emotional vulnerabilities, even political vulnerabilities and we find ourselves in these places in life where this feeling of aloneness and vulnerability but also testing and temptation come at us and we're like, Lord, are we alone in this? today I want us to read through Psalm 121. It's a short psalm. You can open up to it now and it's only eight verses. It will show up on the screens but I encourage you because we go back and I like to walk through these psalms so there'll be plenty of opportunities to underline or to relook at those passages. Psalm 121 which is a psalm of ascent. Eight verses. We'll read through this together. The word of the Lord. The Lord is your shade, even on your right hand. And the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. Lord, all of this scripture has been breathed out by your spirit. Lord, it is profitable for every man and woman in this room. Lord, for our correction, for our training, for our, for our uh, being molded more and more into the likeness of Jesus, Lord, that we may be equipped for every good work. So Lord, speak to our hearts today. Lord, for those of us who do feel alone, who are feeling the pressures and vulnerabilities of life, Lord, comfort us, encourage us by your spirit, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. This is known as one of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent take place from Psalm 120 up through about 134, and these would have been psalms or songs, poems that would have been recited uh, on a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for most of the Jews. Most commentators believe that this was actually written during the time of the exile, but from that point forth going forward, this would have been a song that would have been sung or would have been recited by families and by men and by women and by children as they went up to Jerusalem, whether that was for Passover or one of the other days of the the Jewish calendar year. And songs are interesting like that. Poems, songs, we have an ability to remember them, do we not? Many of you in this room probably can still recite all 50 states in their capitals because of a song that you memorized in the fourth grade, and yet you have no idea what you did yesterday. But songs help us remember, and what this song is, especially for the people of Israel, is this is a confession, This is a reminder to them of not only the God it is who they serve, but who they are and his plans and care for them. Men and women of the church, when we gather and sing in worship, it is not just some sweet kumbaya moment, but what we are doing is we are declaring in song who our God is, who we are, and what he is doing for us. Much like the ancient Israelites, we are doing the same thing. And so these songs of ascent are exactly that. Easily easily memorized, uh, a confession of the people and who their God is and what he's doing for them. And we're going to look at this two verses at a time. And for this particular passage, there's an anxiety that we see in the author. You see that picking up in verse one. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from now we don't know the anxiety we don't know that the vulnerability we don't know that the testing in particular is that this that this poet is dealing with but there is something waiting on him and he is looking up to the hills more than likely looking with longing up into the mountains where jerusalem sits Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in these moments of vulnerability, right, we are longing for some sense of control. We're longing for some sense of answer or companionship. I said this last week. Oftentimes, our idols are revealed in our daydreams, but idols also make an appearance for us in our fears and in our anxieties. Oftentimes, what you have placed your hope in, you don't even realize until it's threatened. You, you might say, you know what? Money's not that big of a deal for me. It's good. You know, I understand it's all from God until, until it starts to go away or until it's threatened. And then all of a sudden, these deep fears and anxieties begin to well up. And not just natural light anxieties. I'm talking about debilitating anxieties. Maybe health. All of a sudden, like me, for the first time, you're sitting in an oncologist's office and this fear overwhelms you like will my children even remember who I was? And these fears begin to come in. The marriage begins to fall. People begin to pass away. Things happen and these these fears well up and you begin to longingly cry out, where is the help? As these idols are being threatened, what this poet is doing is he's not looking towards that, but he's looking for something more solid. He's reminding himself and he's preaching to himself where his true hope, where his true help will come from. And he answers that in verse two. He says, no, my true hope will not reside in any idol or anything in this creation, but my help comes from who? comes from the Lord, comes from Yahweh himself, the very maker of heaven and earth. It's not enough that he declares that God is his help, right? That would be like me saying, hey, your car's broken. I'll help you with that. Sure, I have no idea how to fix a vehicle, and I have no real connections with any mechanics anywhere, but I'm with you, all right. No, for the poet, what is he doing? He's saying, Yahweh is his help, yes, but I'm gonna tell you why he's able to help me and how he's able to help me. The very God who made those hills, the very God who fashioned the sky above and the earth that we sit on and everything below it, he is my helper. And so he continues on, he will not let your foot be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Sleep and slumber are interesting. Basically, in the ancient world, oftentimes, pagan deities would sleep. That was a part of who they were. Almost all ancient deities, especially if you've studied Greek mythology or Roman mythology, they're based on very human characteristics, the fallenness of man. But one of the great um, uh, travesties or, or one of the great sins, oftentimes, that pagan um, civilizations could commit against their gods was waking them up. You read that throughout ancient literature that oftentimes if, if a god was awakened from his slumber, he would rain down wrath on those people. And so the gods would sleep, the gods would be distracted. You see this as well when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's mocking the prophets of Baal who are trying to call down fire from heaven from their pagan god as a display of the might of Baal. And what does Elijah say to them mockingly? He says, hey, hey prophets of Baal, perhaps, perhaps your God is sleeping. Or maybe he's using the restroom. Perhaps if you cry louder, he'll hear you and answer your prayers. And so what is the poet doing? But he's saying, no, Yahweh is different. Yahweh does not sleep, nor does he slumber. Slumber there is this sense of distraction. This sense of like, man, my mind is wandering. I'm not fully present in the conversation that's taking place, right? I climbed for years. When I was in Massachusetts, I lived in Wyoming. I climbed in the Tetons. I've climbed through most of the West. And one of the things that you have when you climb is you have a belayer. Somebody who guards the rope, locks the rope, should you fall off the side of the cliff. And so if you're climbing and you're placing your gear and you fall... The belayer will lock off the rope, but in order to do that well, they need to be paying attention the entire time. A young guy, I used to climb with him a lot when I was in Massachusetts. We lost track, but about 10, 12 years ago, um, somebody told me that he had been out climbing with somebody who was new, a belayer who was not paying attention, and in his distracted moment, my buddy Zahan fell, and he actually hit the ground and broke his back. You know, there's something about needing somebody who is there and paying attention at all times. And what the poet is saying here is this is a God who is not asleep. This is a God who is not distracted, but is engaged in your vulnerability, is engaged in your moments of weakness. And not just engaged, but he's present. Look at verse verse three, excuse me. He will not let your foot be moved. This is like a parent with a very young toddler at the park, right? You know, like that little two-year-old kid who is just way overzealous and wants to go on every single giant contraption at the park. And what does the parent do? The parent's like right there watching. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. They don't know how to fully walk yet. And they're already going up these incredible high slides. And that's, that's the picture we have of a God who is present. If he is going to protect you from falling, well, he actually needs to be there to catch you. He can't be somewhere else and then it happens and he's like, oh man, sorry, I was in the other room. But for the poet, he, he's laying out a picture that this is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the God of all creation. This is a God who is present and who is engaged and not asleep. Yes, verse five continues. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. This is a 24 seven deal. God is with you during the day. He is with you at night. And even then it says that he will not let shade be on your right hand. What is that all about? Well, a soldier would always have his shield in his left hand, and he would carry a sword in his right. So his right hand was oftentimes the most vulnerable part of him during battle. And so if he has a shield on his left, what he would need is he would need somebody watching his right hand. You'll hear this today, right? In the military, what do people say? They say, hey, I need somebody watching my back or six i heard it over there right who's on my six yes yes give props to him good job summer all right she's like he did all right who's on my six who's watching my back and so it's the same sort of terminology here but who is on my right hand who's guarding my right side god is your keeper he sits on your right hand. He is with you 24 hours a day. He does not sleep. He is not distracted. He is present. He is the creator of all. And yet, and yet, why is that so easy to read and yet so hard to, so hard to believe at times? If we're really honest, why is it sometimes that in the midst of sitting there in the hospital room, In the midst of burying yet again another family member. In the midst of sitting in the courtroom and signing the final papers for the disillusionment or the dissolving of the marriage. Why is it in these moments that we feel more alone than ever and we say, well, okay, that's great. I read it all, but I'm struggling to believe it. Oftentimes, In those moments of pain and vulnerability and trial and tempting, we naturally self-isolate. We pull ourselves back from the church. We pull ourselves back from others. We pull ourselves back from the Lord. But I want us to look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews 4, it won't show up on the screen, but turn to it if you have your Bible open still or your phone on. For those moments where we say, man, no, I, how do I know that he is my keeper? And how do I know that he is here? How do I know that he's not asleep and he's not distracted? How do I know that he's here 24 seven? How do I know that he has my back? How do I know that he's present? You can know that he's present, you can know that he's there, you can know that he is, that he is neither slumbering nor sleeping. Because he has lived through every vulnerability and every weakness and trial that you have lived through. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, the author says this. And I believe he's he's mirroring that of Psalm 121 when he says this. Look at verse 14. Since then we have a great, great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is another confession. Much like this psalm was a confession of the people of Israel. Here, this author is reminding a people who are dealing with persecution, mind you, who are dealing with imprisonment and who are dealing with the hardships of calling themselves Christians in that society. He's saying, hold fast to the confession. Preach to yourself this, remind yourself of this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, what's the word there? Sympathize. We do not have a high priest. We do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Not our strengths, but our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. But one who in every respect Every respect has been tempted. Some translations will say tested. Has been tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. Amen. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, the same confidence that the psalmist is declaring. He, here the author of Hebrews is saying, now we would go with confidence and we draw near to the throne of grace, the very foot of Jesus that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We do not have some God who is lobbing down pithy comments and attaboys, and you can do it, but one who has crawled into the pit that you find yourself in, who has cuddled up next to you, put his arm around you, and said, I am with you in this and I will walk you through this. He's not sitting up on top of the pit saying, hey, hey, put your foot over there, you'll get out. But he's in there with you. This is a God who has experienced loneliness. Jesus being abandoned by his followers on the night that he was betrayed. This is a God, this is a savior who I believe knows what it's like to bury a parent you never read of Joseph again after Jesus visits the temple at 12 years of age. On the cross, he'll actually turn to the apostle John and he'll tell John, hey, can you take care of my mom for me? He would never have to do that if his dad was still alive. This is a God who has buried his father. He knows grief. This is a savior who knows, who knows the hardships of life. He knows in every respect what you are dealing with because he has experienced it as well. But here, here is the true hope because what is it if he has experienced it and failed as I have? What good is that? But this is a savior who has experienced it yet never succumbed to sin. C.S. Lewis talks about the understanding of temptation because oftentimes we'll say, well, of course he didn't sin. Jesus was God. God in human flesh, so he can't sin. It's, it's easy for him not to sin. Lewis in Mere Christianity talks about this. He says this. Um, he says, Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it truly is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulses inside us until we try to find it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means and only completely resists it. He, he talks about like a wind in a strong storm that starts mildly and begins to build and build and build. Man, I'm born and raised in South Florida. Hurricanes have never bothered me. And uh, I have watched numerous hurricanes come across the shore. If you've been down to the beach when a hurricane hits, it's pretty awesome. I remember when Katrina hit as a category one and I was down on Fort Lauderdale Beach and I sat there watching and feeling the storm come into the shore. But eventually that wind gets so strong, the pressure gets so strong, the sand pelting against you gets so strong that you're like, that's it, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. Temptation is much like that. At first, you're like, hey, that's easy. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. But as the temptation builds and builds and the resisting becomes harder and harder and those sinful impulses begin to scream louder and louder, we eventually succumb because we're weak in our flesh. But yet, Jesus, in his perfection, took not just that amount, but even the full extent of the temptation, the full force of, of the impulses to sin and resisted it all. And that is a God who can sympathize with your weaknesses, but in that hole can put his arm around you and say, I have withstood this for you. So you can come to the throne of grace because I have conquered this on on your behalf on the cross. And I have risen to new life. And I am with you in this, even to the end. That is the good news that we need. In those moments where we say, yes, but how can God know what this is like? He does because he lived it. Jesus woke up with bedhead. He probably had acne as a teenager. He dealt with this stuff. And yet he never succumbed to sin like you and I. And so with confidence, we can go to the throne of grace. And back to Psalm 121. This is the God who keeps you. This is the God who does not sleep or slumber. This is the God who is present in your vulnerabilities. This is the God who created heaven and earth. And as he closes the Psalm, what does he say? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. How can you know that? How can you know that he'll keep you? from death because the hills that he was looking at in verse one longingly towards jerusalem there's another hill and it's called calvary and it's there that jesus died jesus christ became truly vulnerable where he became truly defenseless And he wasn't just simply exposed to some tough situations, but he he weathered the full extent of God's wrath and judgment for my sin and for yours. Death in all of its forms was shouldered by our substitute in Jesus Christ on the cross. Our sin paid for. Death conquered in his resurrection. And so he can keep me from death and he can keep me from hell. And to all of those who repent of their sin and call on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. And how does the psalm end? But it says, not just now, from this time forth, what? Until forevermore. To those who call on the name of Jesus Christ, they are saved and brought to new life, not today, but forever. In John chapter 10, Jesus declaring that he is the good shepherd says, what? My sheep know my name and they follow me and I will give them eternal life and they will not perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. When we shake hands today, how do we shake? We shake like this, right? You can't shake like yourself, but you know what I mean. And if one person lets go, what happens? You fall away. But if you've seen the movie Ben-Hur, Romans, when they would shake, they grabbed each other's wrists. Follower of Jesus, in the midst of the vulnerabilities of life, in the doubts, when you find yourself under trial and temptation and you begin to doubt and fall away, what does Christ declare? No, I am with you. I am in this with you. I sympathize with you. And I will never let go of you. And nothing will snatch you out of my hand. And with confidence, we can remind ourselves of the gospel and grab hold of the faith that saved us once and will save us even to the very end. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, many of us in this room find ourselves in places of great vulnerability in seasons of testing and temptation. And Lord, in the weaknesses of our flesh, Lord, we can be prone to doubt and prone to isolation. But Lord, you have promised us that you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are present. You do not sleep or slumber. And Lord, you will keep us both now and forevermore. Lord, I thank you for the hope of a gospel. A gospel that reminds us and encourages us that you can sympathize with every situation we find ourselves in. But unlike us in your perfection, you carried our sin to the cross and you conquered death on our behalf. Lord, encourage us with this news. Remind us of your goodness in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.